Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Paul Bazanas on the topic Stem Cells, Where To From Here? This June 2008 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Paul Bazanas graduated in science from the University of Sydney in 1997 and for most of the last 10 years has worked in biotechnology companies. Imagine a future in which cures and therapies for diseases that you never even dreamed of were possible. For example, heart attack patients could get a stem cell transfusion via a catheter into the heart, and in weeks your heart is back to almost full capacity. Diabetes can be treated by getting a stem cell transfusion that replaces your immune system. Multiple sclerosis can be solved in a similar way. When the elderly amongst us get Parkinson's disease, they simply get neuron stem cells transplanted into their brain to get an extra five to ten symptom-free years. Arthritis is solved with a similar stem cell transplant. Of course, even with no disease, people sustain injuries all the time. Imagine you get acid splashed in your eyes and you end up blind in both eyes. Once again, maybe you can simply get a stem cell transplantation followed by a corneal transplant and you get your eyesight back. Do you have a bad liver or bladder? No worries. You simply get it regrown from scratch within a few months using stem cells. If you break your jaw so badly that it cannot be fixed with surgery, you get a doctor to regrow within a few months and then replace your old broken jaw with the new one. And the big one, spinal cord injury. Simply requires a transfusion of stem cells that within months may give you back the ability, the ability to walk. If Superman, otherwise known as Christopher Reeves, was alive in this time, he could be walking again. These are all the therapies promised to us by the media and politicians through the use of human embryonic stem cells and cloning in research. It has been suggested by the media and by our politicians that if we don't do this research, then these therapies will never materialise. For example, on the 29th of May 2007, on the eve of the New South Wales stem cell and cloning legislation. Premier Morris Yemmer said in a news release from his department, I am committed to delivering a legal framework that will allow vital research into diabetes, Parkinson's disease, spinal injuries, all these big diseases I spoke about before, and other therapies to continue in New South Wales. The implication is that if stem cell research does not continue in New South Wales, these solutions will never materialise. People have even told me to my face that it is uncaring and even immoral of us to ignore these technologies simply because of religious dogma or moral theorising. The religious right and the media has been careful to label this as only protest by the religious right is doing what they always do, attempting to repress science and send us all back into the dark ages. Mind you, the pioneer of embryonic stem cell research, Dr James Thompson, has said that stem cells will first and foremost be used in drug testing. Therapies may constitute up to 5% of the applications of stem cells if they ever do it. In other words, this whole debate is mainly about drug testing. It's not about therapies. And drug, drug testing is useful in itself for producing drugs that help people, but this puts a whole different slant on the whole debate. However, all these amazing things that I have mentioned Parkinson's, spinal cord injury, multiple sclerosis, diabetes. 
These are all these amazing things that human embryonic stem cells are supposed to be able to do sometime in the long future. They have already been done today. Not with human embryonic stem cells. And cloning certainly was not involved. All these things have been done in clinical trials on real live human beings with adult stem cells. Now, I don't want to get everyone's hopes up too high because I must repeat, these were done in clinical trials. And any clinical trials have to pass extremely stringent standards and procedures before they ever are in common use. None of these therapies are currently in common use today. There are some therapies that have been in common use for about 30 years. These are bone marrow transplantations for leukemia. However, I don't know how many of these other things will materialise in the near future. I hope many do. However, there are so many adult stem cell trial, clinical trials in the world today. The last time I looked on a clinical trials clearinghouse, you can um, access it on the internet at clinicaltrials.gov. Over 2,000 at the last count. And I hope to see some of these adult stem cell therapies in general use over the next 10 years. In contrast, if you do a similar search on clinicaltrials.gov for human sorry, for embryonic stem cells, you will find seven results. And none of them are real clinical trials. What they are, are getting women in to harvest their eggs and getting people in to extract skin cells so they can be cloning. None of them are clinical trials. In summary, adult stem cell therapies have cured and healed people today and in the past. Some of the results are astounding and some are so ordinary that we are not even aware of them. I don't know if many people remember that umbilical cord blood was being used in transplants to treat leukaemia 10 to 15 years ago, well before stem cells even became on, on the political agenda. I don't know if many of you remember, but I do. I don't know what this says about my diet, but even the McDonald's house charities were asking for money on placements in McDonald's restaurants for umbilical cord transplants. And they even mentioned the word stem cells. This was 10 years ago. These results are medically documented and the patients themselves are the best testament to their successes. On the other hand, human embryonic stem cells have mainly produced a lot of mice with cancer. Failed startup companies and lots and lots of funding for them. I'll be going through some of the um, amazingly disgusting rorts that have been done to get funding just for embryonic stem cells. Venture capitalists, however, the ones who have the money, have abandoned human embryonic stem cell companies in force because there is no money in it for them. So the funding has mostly come from so-called benevolent institutions like the Stowers Institute in the United States. If you ever look them up, they have a lot of money. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm sure everyone is heard of that. If human embryonic stem cells could ever get over the cancer problem, which is a huge problem, and could also get over the rejection problem, which even cloning does not solve, and I'll explain that later. And also the ethical problems, which don't seem to exist in most developed countries, unfortunately, anymore. Ethics seems to have been the easiest obstacle to get around. They will still have to go through the same 10 to 15 year clinical trial roller coaster that adult stem cells are currently going through right now, and some of which are in the final stages. I'll be going through some of these at the very end of the talk. Leave the best for last. Okay, I'll just speak about some of the legislation. Many of you may not be aware of exactly how this has all unfolded in Australian Parliament. It seems a long time ago now, but prior to the Lockhart Review, 
there was an act called the Research Involving Human Embryos Act of 2002, which stated that only embryos that are left over from assisted reproductive technologies, which basically means um, in vitro fertilization or IVF, could be used for human embryonic stem cell research. And therefore, embryos could not be created purely for the purposes of research. There was a second act banning human cloning altogether. On the 17th of June 2005, the Honourable Julie Bishop appointed a committee to conduct independent reviews of, reviews of both of these acts. Typically, it seems that these reviews are done every three years. A former Justice of the Federal Court of Australia, the Honourable John Lockhart, was chair of the Legislative Review Committee, but unfortunately he died before presenting the results of the committee. This review is now known as a Lockhart Review in his honour. It recommended somatic cell, somatic cell, somatic cell nuclear transfer to birth or cloning, even I find it hard to say that, and recommended dropping all bans on embryonic stem cell research. This prompted a review of the federal legislation, and this was discussed in depth by our media and our politicians, and I'm sure we all remember a lot of the debates. A respected Australian scientist and our own embryonic stem cell expert, Dr. Alan Trounson, was called in to testify to the need for human embryonic stem cell research, and he showed a video sequence to the media and our politicians, and our politicians showing a mouse that had been paralysed and was partially cured with human embryonic stem cells. By the way, I distinctly remember seeing this video. Does anyone else remember seeing a picture on the media of this mouse? Its, its front legs were, were, were operating, but it was dragging itself along and its back legs were barely moving. I distinctly remember seeing this. He made a mistake. I'll actually um, read from... Um, from one of the Hansard transcripts from the Australian Parliament. Senator Boswell, at the time he was leader of the National Party of Australia, he actually makes a very good point right at the beginning. Even as we debate this legislation, there are new advances in adult stem cell therapy. The rubbishing of adult stem cell therapy in the debate is disturbing. It has many runs on the board. It is also more scientifically advanced than embryonic therapy which still has to be proven in animal models before it even gets anywhere near humans. That is still true. I'll go straight, straight to the um, real meat of the um, issue. Alan Trounson, Professor Alan Trounson, the expert in embryonic stem cells in Australia, showed a rash video, it was actually a mouse video, I believe you got that wrong, to persuade MPs and senators to vote for this bill. The cells used were not the embryonic stem cells involved in this bill. They were from a fetus. They weren't embryonic stem cells. He did not come clean until exposed. That was the first misrepresentation. Does anyone here remember hearing about this? I never heard it. I never heard about it. Then he distributed a paper to a coalition briefing. He quoted a, a reference relating to the rap video research that had already been proved false. He stated that such a paper was published in the very prestigious Nature Medicine Journal. Nature is very prestigious. All scientists want to be published there. Not only did it relate to the wrong kind of cells, but the paper had been rejected by the editor. To make it even worse, it was never published. Yet Transom even provided a publishing date. He forged the date 
to make his point to try to get everyone at stem cell legislation done. That was the second misrepresentation. At the coalition party room briefing, Townsend told the gallery, and then repeated to me personally, to Senator Boswell, that he had divested himself of all shareholdings so that the public would know that he was only in it for the science. A company search found that he still had 200,000 shares in Embryonic Stem Cell International, who was the primary was going to be the primary recipient of funding. The commercial half of the National Stem Cell Centre. When exposed, he admitted to a further 200,000 shares hold in a trust for him by Monash University, where he is now a celebrated professor. He also has shares in other companies that would potentially benefit from the association with the centre. That was another misrepresentation. <coughs> However, there's more. Professor Transom offered a statement of his financial interest to the Senate Committee. However, he neglected to put in four company directorships, potentially very profitable. That is another misrepresentation that is not yet known. He also claimed the recent advances on the finest claim, that was another paper that, that, that was shown to Parliament would solve the rejection problem of applying cell therapy, but experts say the quoted research will do nothing of the sort. This is another misrepresentation. He goes on for another three paragraphs talking about this. I, I won't bore you with it all, just to go straight to the um, conclusion. Alan Trounson must be one of the most prolific grantees, recipients of grants in Australian history, with a haul of over $97 million. If we pass this bill, we will give Trounson's commercial partner, Embryonic Stem Cell International, carte blanche to do what they like with Aussie embryo products once they leave our shores. There is nothing in this bill to stop or regulate exports. This is all from a parliamentary inquiry into Professor Owen Johnson. He admitted all this. He apologised in Parliament, but by then the damage had been done. So, Oh, by the way, Dr. Alan Trounson now heads up the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine. He's been exported to the United States, effectively, which has become a vast funding pit. Who's his last name? Alan Trounson. T-R-O-U-N-S-O-N. In which billions of dollars of Californian taxpayer money has been spent on creating expensive buildings to do human embryonic stem cell research. Some of the people involved have been accused of impropriety with taxpayer money and also been accused of bribery. And the Institute has nothing to show for its effort. And this is at a time when California is strapped for cash. They have a huge cash shortage in the moment. However, they are positive that some good research will be done there soon when they finish building in five years' time. Anyway, after that, most of the states, with, I have to mention, the notable exception of Western Australia, started changing their legislation to follow suit to match the federal legislation. And I'm sure we all remember the stem cell fiasco last year here in New South Wales in which there was a media frenzy, politician frenzy, a conscience vote. The religious right was slammed for being anti-science yet again. And we really got to understand some of our politicians better. I'll quote one politician because I think it sums up the media response only too well. This is a quotation from the Honourable Julia Gillard and one that she has reiterated many times during the debate. I've heard her say the same thing about three or four times. Shri Gillard says, I am not suggesting that Tony Abbott comes to the wrong answer, but I think people need to be upfront about what's motivating them. I couldn't agree with that more. 
And in truth, they're saying, I have a clinical view that life begins at conception. Well, I don't agree with you, but I absolutely respect that view. Well, Julia Gillard does not need to use her ethical framework to decide whether life begins at conception. This is because this is actually a scientific view. This can be verified by picking up any textbook on embryology written in the last 50 years, probably even in the last 100 years. This is not rocket science. However, it is ironic that the Catholic Church, having been accused of being anti-science, and having been one of the largest supporters of science over the last 500, or over the last decade, probably a century or so, is in fact one of the few groups actually holding society to this most basic of scientific teachings, that the human embryo is a human life. I assume Julia Gillard is nearly misinformed, but it is amazing how misinformed and undereducated a lot of our politicians are these days, maybe with the exception of Senator Boswell. The media, though, generally perpetuates the same view, and I've even seen opinion polls on the subject in the Sydney Morning Herald asking the question, do you believe that life begins at conception? This is like holding an opinion poll asking the question, do you believe in gravity? Do you believe that you really exist? However, Julie Gillard goes on to say, what I don't like is when instead of just putting that view, you get all sorts of inflammatory language about human cloning and animal-human hybrids, leading people to believe this is a debate about creating whole new human beings. She said that a lot too. She doesn't like the language, human cloning and animal-human hybrids. Well, the new legislation is now called the Human Cloning for Reproduction and Other Prohibited Practices Amendment Bill. It allows human cloning and animal-human hybrids. It uses those words, the very words that Julie Gillard does not like and did not want to talk about before the legislation was passed. Further, this debate is and was a debate, a debate about creating whole new human beings. This is not the debate that scientists have. That is precisely what a human embryo is, a complete new individual human being. However, it may seem unfair for me to simply pick on Julia Gillard, since Premier Morris Yemmer who has said that he is a devout Catholic, said a very similar thing on the eve of the new legislation in the, in the same press release mentioned above, that the strict ban on human cloning will remain in, in place now and forever in New South Wales under a Labor government. This was a few days before the legislation passed, explicitly allowing human cloning. The fine detail of the news release does actually mention that it is cloning for reproduction that is banned and mentions therapeutic research is allowed. Anyone might see the word therapeutic research and see no problem with it, because any research that produces therapies for diseases should be afforded. However, therapeutic research is a euphemism for therapeutic cloning, which is not mentioned in the news release. And so most readers of the news release might believe that cloning really was banned under a Labor government. Okay, in, in June 2010, there will be a review of the Acts. That, that, that may be an opportunity for us, now that we are well informed, to do something about this. Okay, what else? Cells? The cell, not the stem cell, but the cell just itself, is the structural and functional unit of all known living organisms. Most of the 300 trillion cells of the human body have completely specialised functions whether it be blood cells, lung, brain, skin or liver cells. They are all specialised and differentiated for specific functions. 
By and large, they cannot do anything other than what they were designed for. Stem cells, however, are undifferentiated cells or blank cells. They do not have a specialised function yet, because they have not differentiated into a specific type of cell, whether it is another stem cell, a blood cell, a skin cell, or another type of cell. Stem cells are thus the foundation cells for every organ, tissue, and cell in the body. Where, for example, when you go to the blood bank, you give blood. Um, I don't know how long it takes you to recover the blood. I think it's a few weeks. But if you simply give plasma, it is recovered in 48 hours. If you give 650 milliliters of plasma, it's recovered in 24 to 48 hours. That's all due to stem cells. Okay, stem cells divide many times to become other types of cells. They have the capacity to keep multiplying many times. This feature of stem cells has been used to create stem cell lines, which are then used in research and should theoretically perpetuate for a very long time. It is hoped to supply unlimited cells for various medical remedies or research problems. It, it was a dream of drug companies to have control of that supply and to be able to dictate who may access these stem cells. Once again, the drug companies were very heavily involved in this debate, even if you didn't hear much about them. Within the body, stem cells act as a, a repair system for the body, a repair kit, and for replenishing other cells or fixing trouble spots or diseases. This is a theory behind a lot of stem cell transplants. If we can tap into this repair system, or we can move one repair system from one place to another, we potentially have a way to cure many diseases and injuries without any invasive surgery. Furthermore, this is sometimes forgotten in the debate, I have mentioned it a few times already, but stem cells are used extensively to test drugs outside the body. If drug com companies can test drugs on a stem cell line to determine how it works in the body, they potentially can save millions of dollars in clinical trials and also millions of dollars in lawsuits. Clinical trials are rigorous and extensive trials that drug companies must do to test the safety of new drugs. This is regulated by the Therapeutics and Goods Administration in Australia and in the United States, the Federal Drug Administration. I may refer to these in a moment. Okay, you can just see other stem cells down the bottom. Now, this is supposed to show you the theory that was presented to people and to Parliament at the time. Embryonic stem cells are pluripotent. They can produce many cell types. They can produce the most cell types, potentially every cell type. Adult stem cells were either unipotent or multipotent. What that means is they can produce either one cell type or a few types of cell types. This is what is generally presented. Now, since then, we have discovered that there are adult stem cells in the body that can produce all cells, all cell types. We have um, produced different types of stem cells called induced pluripotent stem cells that I will speak about later. That seem to be produced. That seem to exhibit all the characteristics of embryonic stem cells, except they didn't involve the structure of a human embryo. So that was generally what was presented, but now adult stem cells really take up the entire range. The first uh, stem cells were, um, that were discovered as stem cells, stem cells have always been there, we just have discovered them, was pretty much in the, well, I believe it was in the 1920s actually, but the first treatment that was done for it was studied from 1950 to 1970 by a doctor who got a Nobel Prize for it in medicine. And he was studying the use of bone marrow stem cells, which they knew about for about 30 years, um, for uh, leukaemia patients doing transplants. 
and he perfected that technique in 1963, I think it was, or 1965, I'll have to check that. Um, but they didn't know all that much about stem cells at, at the time. They just knew that um, the bone marrow was very good at replenishing other types of cells. They didn't know that there were adult stem cells were all over the body. But adult stem cells were first types of stem cells. First of all, um, there are many different ways of classifying stem cells. Originally, when the embryonic stem cell issue came up, stem cells were classified according to the source from which they came, from the type of tissue from which they came. This is not always done, and this cannot can cause confusion when adult stem cells are sometimes referred to as embryonic stem cells or embryonic like stem cells. Sometimes this confusion is deliberate. And when I read an article about stem cells, I always look for a description of how the stem cells were extracted. So when you do research, look for how the stem cells were extracted. If they say they were extracted from the human body, they are adult stem cells. If they say they were extracted from an umbilical cord, they're still classified as adult stem cells. So briefly, human embryonic stem cells are stem cells that contribute to the development of an embryo. They come from an embryo and they further the development of the embryo eventually into a human baby. When used for research, these are extracted from the living human embryo from a few days old up to 14 days old. I mentioned 14 days old, it can be constructed from further, extracted from further, but the current legislation in Australia says that if you are using an embryo for research, you can only keep it for 14 days and then you must kill it. Previously, human embryonic stem cells were extracted from spare or leftover IVF human embryos. But with our current legislation, scientists are allowed to attempt to isolate embryonic stem cells from cloned human embryos as well. This has not been done yet, it has not been achieved, but not for lack of trying. Especially since Premier Morris Yemmer offered half a million dollars to the first scientist in Australia to extract human embryonic stem cells from cloned human embryos. Of course, this was a few months after his famous statement on the 29th of May last year. The strict ban on human cloning will remain in place now and forever in New South Wales under Labor government. It also was the day after a successful adult stem cell clinical trial in John Hunter Hospital in Newcastle, in which six patients with heart disease had adult stem cell transplants. They all regained some function, some better than others. Two had almost a complete recovery, two not so well, and two not quite so well either. The day after that, Tony Morrison offered half a million dollars to embryonic stem cell scientists. The process of extracting human embryonic stem cells typically involved the destruction of the embryo. I must mention here that there has been some research that has shown that pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, sometimes called PGD, is a procedure used in IVF clinics that tests to see if an embryo is worth implanting. If it's not, then it is killed. But this method can be used to extract stem cells from the embryo while sometimes keeping the embryo alive. Trial pre-implantation genetic diagnosis has been shown to reduce the chances of an embryo living. This is really quite irrelevant to the whole topic because, once again, as I mentioned, in Australia, if you use embryos for research, they must be killed after 14 days. Adult stem cells are stem cells that are extracted from adult tissue, which is typically non-embryonic sources. Now this may be confusing, once again there are different ways of classifying adult stem cells. 
Personally, we don't mind whether you want to use the term umbilical cord blood stem cells rather than adult stem cells. Because either way... Okay, so first type of uh, stem cell I'll talk about are somatic stem cells. Basically, this is what most people refer to as adult stem cells. And when scientists refer to adult stem cells, they sometimes simply mean these. These are adult stem cells in our bodies and we all have them. These are the repair kits within our body. They are constantly replenishing our cells all the time. And as an example, our blood stem cells can churn out 5 million cells per second. They're most often found in bone marrow, the, the blood stem, stem cells, and they are the factories of the blood system. They continually make new copies of themselves and make every other type of blood cell, including red blood cells, white blood cells, or platelets. One dream of drug companies is imagine having access to a supply of blood that you could just give to anyone as they need it. If you could have a control of that supply, just think of the money you can make. This function of adult stem cells, however, is the basis of bone marrow transplants, a procedure that has been successfully performed since 1970. Until recently, only tissues like blood and skin, which regularly replace themselves, were thought to have stem cells. Research into cell therapy in the last decade, probably in the last 15 years, has shown us the true potential of the stem cells in our body. And that is why the recent need to do all this stem cell research. Cell therapy, cell therapy is now so much more advanced than it ever was, and it is progressing in leaps and bounds. Now it seems that whichever organ researchers look at, they find stem cells. Even when those organs don't seem to be very good at replacing their lost cells, sometimes it's simply a matter of replacing stem cells from one part of the organ to another. Like even, for example, the brain or the pancreas. It was thought for a long time that the neurons in the brain do not regrow. There are stem cells in, in the brain and the pancreas. Okay, the next type of stem cell I'll talk about, umbilical cord blood stem cells. Now, for a long time, once again, as I mentioned, these were classified under adult stem cells, but you will find them referred to separately. These stem cells are found in the umbilical cord attached to every newly born baby. It's free, of course every newborn baby. It is possible to sometimes confuse these with human embryonic stem cells, but they are not related, and umbilical cord stem cells do not require the destruction of a human embryo or a human baby. Another way in which these stem cells are different from human embryonic stem cells is that these umbilical, umbilical cord stem cells have actually been used successfully in transplants for leukemia patients. And there are many cord blood banks in Australia and around the world in fact, um, there is a member of my... I, I do a lot of dragon boat racing myself. I'm really into dragon boat racing. There is someone in my dragon boat team who is a midwife. And what she does is she will collect umbilical cords from parents, or from babies, not from parents. <laughs> She'll collect umbilical cords from babies, and um, if the parents pay, I believe it is $6,000, the umbilical cord will be stored at the Seventh-day Adventist Hospital in Thornley. So the next type of stem cells. Placental stem cells. You may not have heard much about these. 
Please stem cells are found in the placenta, and once again, these come free with every newborn baby. Do not involve destruction of a human embryo, and are ethical. There is currently a company called Pluristem working on a diabetes treatment made from placental stem trials. They are in trials right now at the moment. They call themselves Pluristem because they believe they have discovered that these stem cells are in fact pluripotent. If you remember the screen that I put up, embryonic stem cells were right at the top, and they were considered pluripotent. Pluristem says that these embryonic stem cells are pluripotent. In other words, these stem cells exhibit embryonic-like properties. Now, these are the latest stem cells to, although that you will find other stem cells listed, um, these are the four main types you will hear. They're all entirely ethical. Induced pluripotent stem cells are the latest darling of the um, genetic manipulation market. In cell therapy, they're talked about a lot. Once again, they do not involve embryos in any way, although they have frequently been described as embryos, embryonic stem cells or embryonic-like stem cells. In my previous talk, I, took, I, I talked. My previous talk was last year, I believe. I spoke about Dr. Yamanaka, a professor, who had actually managed to use mouse skin cells and revert them to an embryonic-like state. Everybody ignored him. However, this has recently been accomplished with human skin. So human skin cells have been extracted from someone, I believe they just scraped the skin, got skin cells, and they turn them into an embryonic-like state. So no embryos were involved. So that's the universal nerve, isn't it? They basically reprogrammed the stem cell into um, a base, I guess, a very early form of the cell, so that it was in an embryonic-like state and it could become any other cell. It's considered something akin to the discovery of the DNA double helix by Watson and Cruz. Oh, okay. Well, um, Dr. Yamanaka um, did it initially with mouse skin cells in Japan at um, Kyoto University. However, when he did the uh, discovery with human skin, he actually um, he did it in conjunction with Dr. James Thompson, who is the pioneer of embryonic stem cell research. I believe I mentioned before. He's not Professor Adam Chancellor, the one who lied to the Australian Parliament. Uh, Dr. James Thompson is the pioneer of embryonic stem cell research. And Dr. Yamanaka probably did a very good uh, thing by doing this in conjunction with Dr. James Thompson. Now, Dr. James Thompson has actually said there is no more need to do embryonic stem cell research. These induced various potent stem cells produced have the same properties and they are sufficient. Now, what is interesting is that Dr. Yamanaka even described the reason why he did this. This is a scientist right at the top of his game. He's probably going to get a Nobel Prize for it. At a friend's invitation, he looked at a microscope, down a microscope, at a human embryo stored at the clinic. He said, when I saw the embryo, I suddenly realised there was such a small difference between it and my daughter's. I thought, we can't keep destroying, destroying embryos for our research. There must be another way. That was Dr. Yamanaka. I hope he does get a Nobel Prize for it. Now, these last types of stem cells, though, induced pluripotent stem cells, have eventually broken the back of resistance of many scientists who would only speak of human embryonic stem cells. Further, this type of research was previously limited 
two, specialists in cloning and IVF techniques and embryonic stem cell scientists. These induced pluripotent stem cells, however, have given many more scientists the chance to do embryonic-like stem cell research without embryos and completely ethically and conscience-free. And merely involves putting a few skins into a petri dish with a few other proteins. There were a few hiccups with the process, and originally the process did involve using a virus to activate certain parts of the cell, which is potentially problematic. However, recently, in fact, very recently, just a few, uh, just a, um, last week, at John Hopkins Hospital in Newcastle, where they're doing some excellent stem cell research, they managed to perfect this process without viruses. So basically, they produced embryonic-like stem cells from skin cells in a completely natural way. Well, I guess not completely natural, but in a completely safe way. Sorry, how the viruses? Okay, well, viruses can um, genetically modify cells to do certain things, and, and they can trigger certain genes in the DNA. And so sometimes viruses are used for genetic engineering or for genetic, genetic manipulation. You can even treat people these days using viruses, but that's still a very touchy procedure, and many people don't want to go near that at the moment. So a virus is involved in the induced pluripotent stem cell production? Originally it was. Now, however, they've done it without viruses. Because one of the problems with using viruses is not simply the stigma attached to a virus, <coughs> but also the notion that sometimes a virus could trigger a gene in the DNA I'll briefly explain that sometimes genes in the DNA are silenced, they're not, they're not active. And if, you can, and if you can trigger certain genes at a certain time, you can, well, in this case, it can cause cancer. This has now been perfected. So some people will say to you that induced pluripotent stem cells will cause cancer, which is quite ironic considering that embryonic stem cells cause cancer. However, this is, even this has been solved now. Of course, this is done in cooperation with Dr. James Thompson once again. The one of the big um, advantages in this is that any scientist can do it. Another one, and the most important reason, is that it is very cheap. This is very important for scientists who are always in need of funding. The fight for funding is just amazing, even at my company. There is also no need to find human eggs, which is a requirement for doing so-called therapeutic cloning or therapeutic research, or whatever you wish to call it these days. Which is another thorny ethical issue because it can put the lives of women in danger. So compared to embryonic stem cells, induced pluripotent stem cells, which effectively are adult stem cells if you consider the source from where they come, adult human skin is very cheap, very simple, non-controversial. Even genome technology, a magazine that I follow regularly because I work at a company that needs to follow it, for some reason I have slipped into the role of being the research person. So I'm heavily involved in doing the research, looking at all the papers. And what is quite odd actually, I'll just mention in just as, as a side topic, is that um, I do a lot of research into tuberculosis and somehow I keep running into papers talking about stem cells. So while stem cells will not be used to cure tuberculosis, 
I do find a lot of papers that are sort of unrelated, but sort of related, similar diseases. And stem cells are mentioned a lot, even there. However, I can't say what's going to happen in the So, genome technology called these stem cells in the article embryonic stem cells 2.0. Now, I don't actually believe that was intended to be deceptive or misleading. I think it was just poetic license. But it could actually be quite potentially confusing, which is why I mentioned it again. If you ever see embryonic stem cells, look for the source. Where did it come from? This article was positively glowing about these induced pluripotent stem cells. This magazine had previously only ever talked about embryonic stem cells. Adult stem cells were dismissed as useless. And now, this article is positively glowing. Part of the reason why, as I mentioned before, is that scientists can be a proud lot and they can fiercely defend their own area of research. Genome technology is now used to separate these stem cells and figure out how to separate them from normal tissue. So genome technology is now used a lot. So that's why they're suddenly talking about it. They're now in, in the ballgame, so to speak. So Dr. James Thompson, is now, who is the pioneer of embryonic stem cell research, stem cell research, has now said there is no more need to do research on human embryos. Now, this is very important tonight, which is why I mentioned it twice now. This is not the religious right talking and repressing science out of ignorance. This is the de-pioneer of human embryonic stem cell research. This may sound surprising to someone who comes from the area, but he also has a lot of misgivings about doing research on human embryos and has said that anyone who does not, any scientist who does not have misgivings about doing research on human embryos has obviously not given it much thought. Again, Dr. Ian Wilmot, you'll probably remember from our first talk, his team cloned Dolly the sheep. I'll mention cloning again later. Cloning is a requirement for human embryonic stem cells to be used in therapies, potentially. Dr. Ian Wilmot, was, his team cloned Dolly the sheep, and he's described as the preeminent expert in cloning. He also has a very rare license to use IVF embryos. So here's the motive and the opportunity. He has said that he will no longer do cloning research with human embryos, but will instead work on these new induced pluripotent stem cells because there is no need to do any more research on human embryos. This is also significant. You have the pioneer of human embryonic stem cell research and the pioneer of cloning in mammals, the preeminent expert in cloning, all saying there is no need to do any more research. However, even in the media today, you will see that they will say there is still a need to do research. Okay. Uh, one of the problems with doing human embryonic stem cell research is that let's say that you were going to produce a therapy for someone. So you use the human embryonic stem cells to produce um, some bone marrow-like stem cells and you produce blood. If you put that, that in someone, or, or let, let's say it's not blood, let's say something else like muscle. You put that into someone, it's not their DNA. So it's going to be rejected, or quite, it could be rejected. Uh, sometimes it isn't, but more, more often than not, most of the time it is rejected. Or, and then what you need to do is you need to take in, immunosuppressant drugs to prevent your body from rejecting it. The problem with that, of course, is that you're suppressing your immune system. You're a lot more likely to get other problems. So, cloning is required to produce, 
genetic material which is very similar to the patient. So you clone one of the patient's own cells using eggs that you harvest from women to create a human embryo which has got genetically similar DNA to the patient. Now, this actually has created another problem. You have to find human eggs. Where do you get them from? You get them from humans. It can put the lives of women in danger. A woman has died from precisely this, getting eggs in the United States from what they call ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Ovarian hyperstimulation is required to extract the eggs. However, there is a syndrome named after the process. Ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Sorry? Unfertilized eggs. From a woman. More, although death is actually quite unlikely, more likely you're just going to get um, kidney damage and infertility. And even that is rare, it only occurs in about 3 to 5% of cases. That's actually quite huge for a process which is not quite. This may seem an acceptable evil to those who wholeheartedly support human embryonic stem cell research until you do a bit of maths. To treat one of the 17 million diabetes patients in the United States today, collecting 10 eggs per donor, which is the current requirement, at a generous 20% cloning efficiency, very generous, with a further generous 10% efficiency at initiating embryonic stem cell culture, which has never ever been done in the world today, from cloned embryos, it will require a minimum of 850 million eggs. This will require a minimum of 85 million women of childbearing age as donors to supply all those eggs, of which a minimum of 5% or let's say 2% or 2 million women will be hospitalised during the process. Some will be infertile as a result of it. So what has happened? This has created a huge black market in eggs that exploits women in third world countries which simply adds to the black market that already exists for IVF. Anyway, so that's one of the reasons why it's a very expensive procedure to do. So, it requires planning for therapeutic transplants. I should also mention another way that they're trying to solve this problem of getting human eggs, because 850 million eggs is just ridiculous, unfertilized eggs. So one of the ways they're trying to get around that is by using animal embryos. So you extract an embryo from an animal, maybe a sheep, and then you take out the DNA from the unfertilized egg from the sheep and you replace it with the DNA from a cell from the patient. And you have got about 99% of, the D- of your DNA is now in that unfertilized egg. Then you zap it with electricity. It's like a Frankenstein experiment. You zap it with electricity, and sometimes it initiates cell division. And um, they've done this with, um, well, basically they have. Um, this is the same process used for typical cloning with human eggs or with dolly sheep. It's the same process, but instead of using the same type of egg, you're using a different type of egg. And the idea is that hopefully you will 
um, get some embryonic stem cells from the procedure. There is one minor problem to it. The actual process requires taking the nucleus of a cell from the patient and putting that into the unfertilized egg. Unfertilized animal egg. Now, the nucleus does not contain all the DNA. This is something that is sometimes forgetting in the debate. It contains most of it. But there is a very important part of the DNA called mitochondrial DNA in the egg itself. So, a lot of the time, um, cloning will still produce rejection for that reason. Even if you're using a human egg and a human nucleus from a patient, it may still cause rejection because the mitochondrial DNA is different. However, when you use an animal egg and human DNA, well, the idea is simply to initiate embryonic stem cell division, but what is going to be in that embryonic stem cell? That is one of the solutions that they have um, postulated to solve this problem, and this is one of the things that we are now allowed to do in Australia's legislation. This is now allowed according to the prohibition of Human Cloning for Reproduction Act. Who is the church standard this? Well, um, human embryonic stem cell cloning is what well, well, human animal hybrids is wrong. Um, cloning is wrong. In fact, embryonic stem cell research is wrong. The reason why is because these, well, one of the reasons why, actually quite, uh, there are actually quite a few reasons why, apart from harming the inherent dignity of a human being. One of them, but one of the big reasons, the obvious reason for embryonic stem cell research is that it involves the destruction of the human embryo. Now, one of the reasons why embryonic stem cells are going to be used is to study how they differentiate the adult stem cells. This is potentially useful information to have. This is precisely the problem that you mentioned before. How do embryonic stem cells become adult stem cells and how do you then create other cells? This is what they're now doing with induced pluripotent stem cells. Now, just for diabetes, this would require 150 million eggs. That's in the States, just for diabetes. It's not applicable to adult stem cells. Similarly, they're trying to get around that by trying to create hybrid human-animal embryo clones, which I, I personally find a bit horrifying, just simply the prospect of it. Once again, induced pluripotent stem cells or umbilical cord blood stem cells or placental stem cells or somatic stem cells, they're all ethical. Embryonic stem cells can be used to test the effects of new drugs on human cells. Embryonic stem cells can be used to test new effects. Also, adult stem cells can be used to do the same thing. I'll talk um, in, in, in the discoveries, I'll talk about what is happening at John Hopkins Newcastle. They have actually created a sickle cell anemia cell line stem cell line. This is a stem cell line. It just keeps producing stem cells of sickle cell anemia so they can study it in depth, see what happens. This is what they always wanted to do with embryonic stem cells. Sorry. Okay. Embryonic stem cells have already been painted. Now what it says there is WARF. That's the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation. This was where Professor James Thompson worked. And because he worked there, they patented his research. Now, many people, you probably hear a lot of discussion 
talking about the United States, the problem in the United States. Bush is preventing embryonic stem cell research in the United States. Well, that is actually nonsense. What he's done is he said no federal funding for embryonic stem cell research other than the embryonic stem cells that we currently have. And all, and all he said is no federal funding for it. That's all he said. What has actually stopped embryonic stem cell research is not Bush in the United States. It's not anything that we've done. It's this, the WARF, the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation. They have a patent on the process by which embryonic stem cells are extracted from the embryo. And that's and because Dr. James Thompson was working there when he did it, and um, unfortunately he got funding at the time that meant that he had to hand over his research, that now got control of that. So if anyone wants to do research on embryonic stem cells, they have to go through Wisconsin. This is actually what has held up embryonic stem cell research. Once again, there are actually patents in the area of adult stem cells, but they are so varied, and, and there, are, there are quite many of them, that it, it, it's a competition environment. You know? The patents are competing against one another. It's actually quite a healthy environment for patents, because patents are, can, can actually be a very good thing. They can encourage competition. So, yes, there are patents in the area of adult stem cells. This is one patent that is stopping just about everyone from doing stuff. Once again, embryonic stem cells are restricted to a very small group of scientists. Adult stem cells to a much larger group of scientists. Any scientist that knows about cell therapy can do it. The idea is to grow replacement organs with embryonic stem cells. This has already been done. Once again, we have grown livers and bladders. We have grown heart valves. This is one of the things I will probably talk about if I haven't lost it in my notes. We've actually grown heart valves. Now, every person would require a cloning procedure to create stem cells for embryonic stem cells. At the moment, most people require adult stem cell extraction. Soon, in the future, this may require simply giving blood that may be sufficient to get stem cells. At the moment, it requires um, extraction from the bone marrow or from the nose. Surprisingly, it, it, it may seem funny, but the nose is actually a very rich area of stem cells at the moment. Also, fat. That's quite surprising to me, but fat is also a very rich source of stem cells. There is a company in the United States called Cytori Therapeutics, C-Y-T-O-R-I. If you wish, if you can remember this, they have a website, C-Y-T-O-R-I-T-X, the therapeutics.com. They have a device. C-Y-T-O-R-I-T-X.com. They have a device which um, basically what you do is you extract fat cells. So you basically do a liposuction, you extract fat cells, you put them into this device. I forget what the device is called now. But you put it into this device, the device will culture the cells, the stem cells in the fat, the adipose stem cells as they're called. And then the device is now used in Japan um, to, for women who have had lumpectomies. Basically they've had cancer and they've had a part of their breast removed. So what they do is they get fat and they, they get fat from the liposuction and they get all the adult stem cells, they mix them together and they put it into the breast and um, basically the breast grows back just like normal, or at least that's the plan. It only works in about, I think, 60% of women at the moment. So we're still perfecting it. This is currently being done in Japan and they're still sort of in final stage clinical trials at the moment, although theoretically it's, it's a device which is used 
used um, commercially. It's, it's, it's got commercial acceptance, so it can be used commercially in Japan. But they still are doing um, final stage clinical trials. And the last thing I heard about it is that they're doing quite well. So if you go to that website, you'll be able to see what the latest is on, on the research. Okay. So, um, now allergenic, allergenic stem cells is another very interesting thing. There are certain types of adult stem cells that are not rejected by the person. So I can, I can um, um, go and um, give blood and, and have my stem cells extracted, and I can offer them to anyone else, and there's no chance of rejection at all. With certain stem cells, this is possible. And um, it's, it's, it's an area which, which scientists are still working on. Is that why it didn't donate bone marrow to sibling or something? That's for a different reason. They actually have to match the bone marrow to the sibling. Yeah. So. Okay, I think I'll skip the further issues. Oh, actually, I might as well just, just talk about them now. Embryonic research, I think, is a fact for study of the development of human embryo. Now, this sounds essentially good. It, it does sound like a good thing, understanding the development of the human embryo. However, I'll tell you one thing that scientists have done. Well, two things. Um, you probably know about... You probably haven't heard of the name transgenic fish, but how many people have heard of the, the glowfish? The glowfish. The glowfish is what they call a transgenic fish. The reason why it's called transgenic is because it's got genes from a different species in the fish. Now, I believe it's got... There are two different types of, of, of glowfish. One has got genes from Carolina, and one has got genes from a, a, a plant. Uh, is it a plant? I forget where, where the other gene comes from. But basically, the glowfish glow. One of them has got a jellyfish gene, and one of them has got rabbits. Sorry? Rabbits have glowed in the dark. I understand they've got rabbits that glow in the dark as well, yes. So this glowfish are now patented. Another issue spare parts. People talk about spare parts all the time. Now, I actually have got a printout of something that Jim Weeks gave me, actually. It's um, an article written by Marcel White, who was a convert to Catholicism in 2005. 22 years old at the time. It's called The Scandal of Australia's Anti-Life Catholic Politicians. Now, there are many, basically, talks about Catholic politicians and politicians who claim to be Catholic and things that they've done. And there's one here that is actually relevant to this issue right here. Catherine King was a politician. She conceded that she was brought up Catholic, was Catholic as well, claimed that abortion, she also claimed that abortion, embryo experimentation, fetal farming and cloning are all acceptable. Fetal farming, spare parts from embryo fetus were baby. There are even some ethicists, even here in Australia, I don't know if many have heard of Peter Singer, yeah. He claims that we should be able to do this. Spare parts from a baby. This is awful. And this politician here is saying fetal farming is okay. Growing fetuses for spare parts. Th these are issues that people have generally talked about. And while most people, well, a lot of people have rejected them, we need to be continually alert to what is happening. 
save your siblings is another potential worry. Now, it would be a good thing if, uh, for example, um, my child has got a problem and my other child can actually um, donate something to the child, you know, donate stem cells to the child to help them. But what if, um, but save your siblings, the, the idea behind save your siblings is I have got a one-year-old child, the child has got a major problem and I need to help the child. So what do I do? Um, I go to an IVF clinic and um, I, well, I take my wife to my IVF clinic and I say, well look, um, just keep harvesting eggs and keep creating embryos until you find one that looks genetically right, that's going to match it, and then put that in and, and we will um, you know, grow the baby up and we'll treat them like a child. But the reason for the child is because we want, to get, want them to help the baby that's um, suffering at the moment. So, um, well, it's, it's wrong from the point of view of simply doing IVF is wrong for starters. But, but already what you're doing is you're selectively doing IVF so that you can match, so you can match siblings. The potential worry here is actually more, especially considering that some of these savvy siblings may not really be wanted. They just are grown for their parts, really. End of life issues, I was going to talk about but I don't think I've got that much time left at the moment. No time left? Okay, good. Okay, I'll just quickly go through some of the um, some of the potential therapies we have in the future. Now, although there are lots of things that have already happened, lots of adult stem cell trials have been done, so much has been done in the area of um, knees and so on. I don't know if many people have seen um, horse racing. Horse, horse racing is actually taking up stem cells big time at the moment because they can repair horses' legs you know, when they damage their legs. Anyway, dentistry. There's a company called Odontis. They are developing a biological replacement tooth product. This is not. This is a tooth product that is grown from your embryonic stem cells. Now they have perfected this in mice at the moment. Sorry, you mean stem cells? Did I say embryonic stem cells? Sorry, my mistake. Adult stem cells. They actually are using. Um, they're trying it with two things at the moment. They've been successful with um, bone marrow and with um, pulp from the tooth. There's stem cells actually in the tooth as well. Once again, everywhere they look, they find stem cells. So this company has been very successful in growing mice for teeth. They've got a whole bunch of mice with new teeth at the moment. Great. The research is led by Professor Paul Sharp at King's College London Dental Institute. His team has demonstrated that tooth development can be initiated in stem cells adult stem cells, and that fully formed teeth can be created in developmental models. What it means is mice. Uh, once again, the morphology between mice and humans is very similar. That's why a lot of the experiments are done on mice. <coughs> of course, that doesn't mean that it will work. But he says, seven to ten years. Um, he's pretty confident in seven to ten years. Next one. Heart disease. Mesoblast is actually been very big in the news. They've been around for a long time. Mesoblast is an Australian company, a Melbourne company. Do I say that? No, I don't. They're actually a, a company based in Melbourne. At the moment, they're doing a lot of uh, stem cell trials in the States at the moment. They're doing some here, and some of them um, they're doing at John Hunter Hospital in Newcastle. They're working surprisingly with, they already have a lot of success with um, 
uh, autologous stem cells, um, or basically stem cells from yourself, <coughs> from the patient. Can you repeat that, please? Autologous stem cells. That's another word you may see used. Um, autologous means stem cells from the same patient which it is used for. So if, if I'm going to be treated, and I get patients taken from my bone marrow to treat my heart, they are called autologous stem cells. How do you spell that? A-U-T-O-L-O-G-A-O-S. Now, mesoblasts have already done that so much, it's just passe for them. They're using allogenic or off-the-shelf stem cells. These are stem cells from other people. And the reason why this is good is because then, can, then, then they can be donated by anyone, for anyone. Injected directly into the heart muscles by cardiac catheter. Now, I've seen various projections for the company. They have a website, you can check them out. Mesoblast, M-E-S-O-B-L-A-S-T dot com. Exactly what it sounds like. In fact, exactly that name there. Mesoblast.com. And you can check them out. Um, they have got various timelines in place for their autologous stem cells. With the allogenic ones, I think that's particularly fascinating because that, that suddenly opens up the supply of stem cells big time. And that means that any patient, they don't have to grow their own stem cells. They don't, they don't have to spend a few weeks growing their own stem cells. They can have a ready supply from someone else. No timeline for that yet, unfortunately. Next one. Heart valves. Okay. According to the World Health Organization, 15 million people died of cardiovascular disease in 2005. By 2010, it is estimated that 600,000 people around the world will need replacement heart valves. So this is no minor achievement. Now, Professor Yukug has been doing Magda Yukug. Did I say that right? Yeah, I think so. Yukug has been doing this for a while. He's been working on heart valves for a while. I even mentioned this in my last talk. He's done it with um, um, pig hearts and so on. Growing pigs. So now he has grown heart valves from stem cells for the first time. This is, this is a huge achievement. And he plans to have it done by okay, five years. He's doing some more trials. He's going to do. He's going to have tissues for transplants in three to five years. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. There are people at the moment walking around with pig heart valves in their hearts that have organ transplants from pigs. This this is um, this does actually also require a lot of um, immunosuppressors, drugs, so the immune system doesn't reject it. This is something that will change all that. It's your own and stem cells. Okay, um, stem cells lines for diseases and drug testing. These are stem cells taken from biopsies from patients. Basically a biopsy, basically you take a sample from a patient who has got a particular disease from the particular area in which the disease is or if it's all around the body, you take a sample, um, such as Huntington's or muscular dystrophy. You can create a stem cell line from it. And this means that you can study it. This is what um, drug companies have wanted to do all the time with embryonic stem cells. That is being done now with induced fluid-coated stem cells. And surprisingly, a lot of this is happening at John Hunter Hospital in Newcastle. There's so much innovation happening in Australia. It's quite promising, really. It's a pity that we also have embryonic stem cell laws, but so much adult stem cell research is happening in Australia. Um, once again, the sickle cell anemia cell line was done at um, John Hunter's hospital. Okay, spinal cord injury. Eric Nader, 
Okay, this is done in, in Portugal at the moment. There have been quite a few spinal cord injury reparations done in Portugal. Some of them are quite successful and some of them are not quite so successful at the moment. They're still perfecting the procedure. The young Amer American, Erica Mader, was injured in a car accident and paralysed from the arms down, actually from the biceps down, and has been treated for a spinal cord and was treated for a spinal cord injury using stem cells taken from her nose. Once again, sounds funny, but that's a very, very good area for stem cells. And the stem cells were implanted at the site of the injury. This procedure, which is performed nowhere else in the world, that's not true now, it was actually performed in the United States for the first time, a week ago, I think, um, was performed by a team of surgeons in Portugal at Lisbon's... You can say that. Hospital. After three years, magnetic imaging resonance tests show that the cells did indeed promote the development of new blood vessels and synapses, neuron connections, connections between the nerve cells. This, this is required for spinal cord reparation. This is according to Dr. Carlos Lane, the chief of the Elizabeth team, how to do it. This has been done quite a few times. I know of three cases that have been well written in which people have recovered almost full ability to walk in. Uh, yeah, I mentioned this before. The sickle cell anemia at John Hopkins Hospital. They are also the ones who did um, the first heart disease stem cell trial in Australia. And all six patients had some recovery, although two of them there wasn't much recovery at all. Two of them was quite significant. Uh, no timeline. Knee injuries. Once again, Mesodvast is, is working on quite a few areas. One area they're working on is the heart disease with the allogenic stem cells. Um, with the knee injuries, these are with the autologous stem cells. So um, I don't know if it's bone marrow or if they're stem cells from the fat at the moment. This one. A world first trial is going to be conducted in Melbourne for knee injuries. This is actually quite significant, I believe, because they are being involved in a lot of sport myself. I know there are lots of knee injuries. This could be quite promising. Could be available in 2012. That's in four years. <laughs> and theoretically, it could treat any joint that could be injected. Policemen, I think I mentioned them before. They are working with the placental stem cells, which they believe are pretty potent. Um, they're working on diabetes. No timeline for that one yet. Although they have got different products they're working on. They're working on um, um, a stem cell called PAD, PAD, which is for peripheral artery disease. Um, it doesn't sound that great. It's, it's not that great. It's a pretty bad disease, but it does affect a lot of people. Um, they're working on um, bone marrow transplantation for with umbilical cord blood, and they're working on stroke patients as well. Now the next one. Parkinson's disease, the big one. One of the big ones. Now, just a brief story. Um, one, of the, one of the first recipients that I know of, he probably wasn't the first, but the one, one that I know of, is Dr. Dennis Turner. He gave testimony, testimony in the United States in the Senate Committee on Science, Technology and Space Hearing. By early 1991, 
He suffered extreme shaking of the right hand side of his body, stiffness in his gait and movements. After some years of medication, he developed a fluctuation and poor response to cinnamon, which I understand is a medication for people with Parkinson's. This made daily activities involving the use of both hands hard or impossible, such as putting in contact lenses. He would knock himself out. His disability, the disability prevented him from using his right hand. He had stem cells taken from his nose, similar to what was done in the hospital in Lisbon, in Portugal. He had stem cells taken from his nose and injected into his brain. His trembling grew less and less. He saw a neurologist, he went to a neurologist about six months after the treatment. The neurologist said that if he hadn't known he had Parkinson's before, he wouldn't know. He was once again able to use, to use his right hand and arm normally. If you wish to find out this information, once again it's actually publicly available on the internet. Just search for Dennis Turner Parkinson's. It's fairly available information. So, because of his improvements, he was he's now able to indulge in his passion for big game photography. While on safari, he, he, would, he was describing the story in the Senate Committee. While on safari, he scrambled up a, tea, a tree to avoid being run over by a rhino. <laughs> he swam in the South Atlantic with great white sharks. I don't know if he was But the point was that he regained a lot of, um, a lot of function. And once again, um, I'll just finish off. This is the last thing. Uh, I know it's up here. Sorry, go back. That's just the last quote. Okay. Griffith University in Australia, they have currently done, done Parkinson's disease tests on mice. They have triggered in mice a disease very similar to Parkinson's disease, what they call a model, the human model of Parkinson's disease in mice. And they have made substantial progress in curing them of Parkinson's. So they plan to do trials in five years' time on human patients. That's the start of the trial, mind you, and once again, um, trials can take a long time. So the good news is that adult stem cell trials are happening right now in many, many different areas, and there is a lot of potential. But who knows how many clinical trials are going to be available in 10 years' time. We cannot really predict it because it's clinical trials are a very tough pr um, procedure to go through. Okay, we're all done. You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Paul Bazanis. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics Lectures, visit cradio.org.au.